This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 23 of the Wisdom by Wisa show on the Horse Radio Network. This is Mike Donnell. I'm Casey Wilbanks Coletti. And this is Sophia Aguera. Welcome to the Wisdom by Wisa podcast on the Horse Radio Network. This podcast is brought to you by the Western and English Sales Association, WISA, which provides the world's largest trade events for retailers, manufacturers, and sales representatives of the equestrian industry. In this podcast, we feature exclusive interviews with noteworthy Western and English personalities, retailers, and exhibitors who you've always wanted to talk to. Don't miss out on all the news for manufacturers and retailers in the equine industry. Okay, all of our listeners, you're used to having Casey and Sophia have a nice little chat on our program. I'm going to have a little chat with Sophia anyway. Sophia, we've got a market coming up in June. It used to be the September market. Chat a little bit about what's going on, and we might even mention we're going to have a booth. Yes, so the market is going to be on June 19th or the 21st the general membership meeting. It's always on the last day of market and it used to be a Sunday, but now that we changed our schedule from a Friday to Sunday to a Wednesday to Friday, the general membership meeting is going to be on Friday, June 21st and breakfast will be at seven. And then the meeting starts at seven fifteen. and every WESA member can attend. You don't have to be an exhibitor for the WESA June market. You just have to make sure that your membership is active. Okay, hey, give me some behind-the-scenes look at what's taking place. That show comes up pretty soon. Yep, so some talking points for the general membership meetings will be updates on current association news. Um, there will also be a time for members to ask questions or voice any concerns. And very importantly, there will be a vote for the board elections for 2020-2021. And the board nominees, have, if they have pre- previously accepted their nomination, there um, will be a nomination sheet, which shows, um, for example, information such as how long they have been in the industry, the reason of accepting the nomination, and the portfolio sheet will be passed out along with the official ballot of each member, and then there will be a vote at the end of the meeting. Well, and we all know that the words of directors are very, very important for an organization like yours. And I think it's great that there are people who are actually willing to volunteer their time. Yes, we definitely appreciate their time and the general membership meeting and this vote will conclude the June market. Okay. And as I mentioned earlier, we're going to have a booth there. Where's it going to be? Um, Yes, we're going to have a booth close to the social arena. The social arena is going to be in the middle of the pavilion where all the other booths are going to be. And you can just come up and find the Wisdom by Wessa booth right next to it. Okay. And so, thank you so much for giving us that update. We look forward to seeing all of our listeners at the show. Thanks. Very excited. Pat Donkey's first major foray into the Western fashion business 50 years ago was a retailer. And at one time, she was the owner of three stores. And experience has served her well when she switched directions and focused on clothing design. Now she blends her fashion design talents with her knowledge of what retailers want and need to market her creations. She joins us today to tell us her story and also to talk about the demand for American made among retailers. 
Pat, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on our podcast, Wisdom by Wisa. Thank you, too. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we interview a lot of people who are just getting started in this business. I think it's going to be really fun to interview someone who has a lot of perspective on how this industry has changed, what's going on. You certainly do. You started in the retail side of the business. Then you refocused on the fashion design side of the business. But let's go back and chat a little bit about your retail experience because you obviously deal with retailers. You said some interesting things when I chatted with you earlier about what they want. But why don't you kind of give us the, the Pat Donkey story and then we'll get into the other topics. Okay. I did start out with first one small store and then built a new store each year. So I had three retail locations in Houston for 17 years. And that gave me a really great feeling for what the retailers go through, the retail cycles, how you have to adjust your markdowns and markups and turn that dollar to pay for the square footage, advertising, pleasing the customer. It's more than just designing an outfit and putting it out there for somebody to buy. You have to make sure that the customer really loves that outfit and wants that outfit and it's going to suit their needs. So it taught me to listen to the customer, the end user. What do they really want? Now, when you were doing this, were you also designing or did that all come later? I was definitely designing my own look within the store. Like I had friends that were horse people that wanted leather collars. I call them collars. They were like little open vests to wear over a blouse and they wanted to wear it to the rodeo. So because I couldn't find anything like that in the market, I was making my own up and people were coming in and buying those. I wasn't really selling them to other stores that much, but I definitely had that Western influence in accessories going on all the while to kind of fill into basic blouses. At that time, I was doing a dress for success seminars for, we wore dresses more than we wear dresses now. We always dressed up for work and we had suits on all the time. And whether we were bankers or real estate people, we had that dress for success look. So what I was doing was adding a little Western flair in the way of a fringed leather collar that they could wear over a blouse or a jacket that would take them to the rodeo or make them look a little more Texan or Western. (laughs) I think it's an interesting combination, the fact that you have so much retail experience that you're really able to take that into your design portion of your collections. I think that's very instrumental, but as a designer, it must be very difficult. I'm sure you're a very creative person and and have multiple ideas, but it, it may be somewhat like an author where they get writer's block sometimes. So where do you grab influence from? Where do you grab your inspirations from in those times of need? I give the man above a lot of credit for it. And then it comes to me sometimes in the middle of the night. I also Having worked with women, mm-hmm. I feel like women want to look tall, thin, and rich. 
(laughs) (laughs) They, They want the fabrics to be very rich looking, very soft to the skin. The way the styles are right now is mm-hmm. that the bias cuts, which cost more money to produce, are actually very much more flattering to the figure because mm. they give the the fabric a way to stretch over yes. the hips and over mm-hmm. the bust so it doesn't look so tight, yes. and yet it lays close to the body. So I've been known as the queen of bias, and yeah. it, it is just so much more flattering when you get a fabric to drape and lay mm-hmm. close to the body, it is sure. so much more figure flattering than if it is boxy looking. Right. Well, and speaking of materials, you were once named Texas Natural Fiber Designer of the Year. So in keeping with the materials, what are some of your favorite materials to use? Well, leather, number one. And then when you get into leather, you want something that is like velvet leather, Mm-hmm. which is the lamb skin and some of the goat skins and deer skins. So they're very, very pliable. A lot of that has to do with the way they're tanned. When you, I don't want to see those white lines. I want something that just drapes and is so old off. But I love the silk. And because I manufacture in America and use American labor, you won't find me using too much or designing much in the way of a t-shirt, which is, I I can't make my markup in Mm -hmm. a t-shirt because Uh there's too much competition and there's not enough profit in it. So when I lay a fabric on the table to be, I need to ensure that that fabric is the most gorgeous, the most beautiful, something that a a person might spend a little bit more on than they would, you know, a cotton t-shirt material. Yes. Well, I'm looking at some of your designs on your website, PintoRanch.com, and you're speaking to my heart here. Leather and fringe and beading and bling and the -the over-the-top kind of flair, but classy. You're, you're, you're think they're, they may be over the top in one way you explain it, but they're, they're very classy and elegant at the same time. Very, very neat products. Um, so any, any more background about your designs, anything new coming up? I'm looking at some beautiful, you call them collars. There's a beautiful skirt fringe and feather crisscross skirt on your website. Um, I'm shopping as we're talking right now, Pat. (laughs) That's the bad thing about this show, Pat, to such wonderful designers like yourself. And I spend this hour shopping at the same time. To me, the West is all about the fringe. And it, I try to incorporate old world or the authentic Western look. You won't find me using many shiny metals. It's more of a distressed old silver look with all that soft, wonderful fringe. And the minimalistic look has really no place in my vocabulary at all. It's... uh, I, I am all about the fringe. Yes, <laughs> I'm ma'am. All about the West. It, Me too. Uh, people love that look. They mm-hmm. go. They can go to somebody else for that very clean, ultra contemporary look. But sure. for me. They're coming to me because they love the fringe, they love the boho, the little out of the ordinary, the yes. over the top look. That's why they come sure. to me. And I, 
want to fulfill that need. <laughs> well, something else that comes to my mind right away, being in fashion, being a woman, also being a mom to a fashionable little girl. I look at your items and these items to me, not only are unique, but they seem timeless. These are items I feel like I could keep forever as I have a beautiful leather and fur coat of my grandmother's that I still have and wear because it never goes out of style. So right. that is the similarity I see in your pieces, that these are pieces that can be worn forever. They can be cherished by my daughter, maybe my granddaughter one day. And I think that's something very unique about your items. One of my best phrases, my favorite phrases is the antiques of tomorrow. We are creating the antiques of the tomorrow. And when you go after that old world look, mm-hmm. the ornateness, the richness, yes. it's always appreciated. If you think of a building and all of the curved architecture and, you know, you appreciate that building for what it is forever and ever, those worldly creations. But to me, sometimes it gets lost when you do those straight contemporary buildings you just don't have I don't have that appreciation You're right for it. the character the character yes right. I agree well Mike may not wear fringe but he does have a lot well. to contribute to this <laughs> conversation so I'm going to let him I don't have I don't have a lot of fringe in my no. work <laughs> Pat I want to talk about a couple of things they are related that we chatted about uh last week number one is your feeling that retailers today are insisting or at least really preferring made in America. Okay. This is my 50th year in business. Actually, I'm celebrating it right now this month. And when I started out in business, 2% of the products were made offshore. 98% were made in America. And we had many clothing factories and manufacturing in LA and New York, as well as some in Florida. So now, 50 years later, almost the opposite is true, although we're seeing a trend back to that made-in-America fashion. The, there's certain tariffs and customs duties that are changing dramatically right now, but we're seeing more and more demand from the customers that they want to buy products that are made in America. And the GoTexan program was really going after this several, many years ago. And that's why I was named the GoTexan Designer of the Year, actually two years in a row, because they wanted products that were made in Texas and manufactured in Texas. I have never changed my manufacturing. I have always manufactured right here in Waller, Texas, in my own building, which is on my ranch, and the girls come and sit and sew every single day, and we distribute. But just recently, Dillard's, for instance, has opened back up their Texas shops in six of their locations, demanding that everything that is sold in those shops are made in America, and particularly in Texas. So it's a wonderful revival of that Western pioneer Texas spirit to see the manufacturing starting to blossom again and support the small business person who 
is making their own products and doing their own designing right here on American soil. Well, that's great because we did talk about that and I thought that was very interesting. In fact, you do have your own production facilities. We are the Wisdom by WISA podcast. Let's chat a bit about WISA because you've been a longtime member and the role that you see an organization like WISA plays in the Western fashion world. Okay. Yes, I've been a member there for many, many years, and they have supported me so much in the fashion shows and by bringing in buyers from all over the world who just love the uh, whole American West, and that's what the movies are all made about, Cowboys and Indians magazine and the American Cowboy and Cowgirl magazine all help to drive that industry. Uh, those magazines are all available. The uh, people that sell ads in those magazines are the ones that you get to meet there. So WISA is responsible for not only bringing the customers, but for wonderful seminars, for advertising opportunities, for meeting people. It's just a great place to learn about the Western business and be supported and exchange information in all areas of the Western industry. Well, I think that's one of the things they're certainly trying to do, and it's nice to hear someone who has the history with the organization and with this business say so. Listen, we really do appreciate you taking the time to chat with us on Wisdom by WESA. Your experience, your perspective, of course, is valuable. You and Casey, I think, had a great conversation on some topics that I'm not so sure I know a lot about, but I do uh, have a feel for how the retailing world works and the business side. I think it's been a great conversation, and we thank you for participating. Thank you for calling. I really appreciate it. You bet. The show notes and the links for today's show are available at www.wisdombywisa.com. And, of course, we'd love to hear your feedback. There's a contact link on that website. The Wisdom by Wisa show will be published on the 15th and 30th of every month. You can listen on most of your favorite podcast players, and you can also listen on the Horse Radio Network app on your iOS or Android phone. You just search Horse Radio Network in the App Store. It's free and it's super easy to use. Be sure to visit all the great shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Thanks for listening to the Wisdom by WISA podcast. WISA, where the industry meets.